Hello and welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, James Intercasso. This is a podcast where I interview pros in the gaming industry about their careers and the games they love to play. If you love the show, do me a favor, head to iTunes right now and give The Tome Show a killer rating. Today's guest is Sean Merwin. Sean is a game designer who has worked on various Dungeons & Dragons adventures for 3rd, 4th, and 5th editions, as well as great products like the Dracula Dossier for Knights Black Agents and Part-Time Gods of Fate. He's currently working with Kobold Press on some sweet 5th edition D&D material and does a ton of work with encoded designs. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them, and then it's off to the interview with Sean. Noble Knight is an online game store. D&D, they got that more. And if you think out-of-print games are nice, shop Noble Knight, cause they've got the best price. And if you've got gaming products to sell, then Noble Knight will buy them as well. So go to the place where gaming's the bomb, and head over to NobleKnight.com. And don't forget to tell them, the Tone Show sent ya! Okay, everybody, I am here with Sean Merwin. Sean is a freelance game designer. He has done a ton of work for Wizards of the Coast. He's written many, many adventures, uh, some for the D&D Adventurers League. He is definitely a level 50 NPC in the world of gaming. Sean, welcome to Gamer to Gamer. Thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you. As a level 50 NPC, I hope I survive. Yes, yeah. I hope I survive. I'm like a level 1 NPC, so... uh... (laughs) I think you're safe. Yes, yeah, yeah. Consider me a henchman, right? A sidekick, if you will. Uh, (laughs) So, Sean, why don't you take us all the way back to the first time you laid hands on a tabletop RPG. Were you the DM? Were you a player? How did you get involved, and what was it like for you? Well, it was back in the dark days of the 1970s. (laughs) Luckily, late 1970s, but uh, 1970s. I was visiting a friend. It was winter break from our elementary school, and I was over at his house, and he had an older brother and some friends who were in high school. And they were down in the basement doing something at their house, and uh, my friend and I weren't allowed to go down there <laughs> and it sounded like they were having fun. So, you know, we were like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. And we were upstairs doing whatever we were doing. And suddenly they came up and said, Hey, we need you to play this game with us. Come on down. Cause apparently some of their friends hadn't shown who were supposed to. Ah. So we went from being locked out to, Hey, let's go play. And so we went down and basically we were just shoved up to a table, given dice, these sheets were set in front of us that didn't make any sense at all. And they're like, okay, you're a, you're a uh, thief. So just do what we tell you. <laughs> and so I said, fine, you know, we're getting to play with the high school kids. This is awesome. <laughs> and it turns out that they had, they had been playing D and D basic 
and they had just gotten the AD&D first edition books. Oh, nice. So they were making the step, and the adventure they were playing was White Plume Mountain, I later came to realize. <laughs> so, but, you know, for a kid who, you know, this was before computer games for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like to read, but I'd never been, you know, big into fantasy or anything. So, you know, having this opportunity to to act out these scenes and do all these things, and I got to play a thief, which is obviously the best character class there is. Of course. Uh, you know, it was just awesome. And even though I didn't know what I was doing, we had a great time, and everybody was laughing, and I was playing with these kids that were older than I was. And, and so, you know, from that point on, I was hooked for, right from that point. <laughs> and since they had been playing basic but didn't want to anymore – they're like, yeah, these books are crap, and they just kind of threw them out. So I inherited the basic set. Ah, uh-huh, nice. Which I immediately took home and started, you know, ravenously reading and planning. If I am ever the DM, this is what I am going to do. Uh, so I played a little bit uh, because, the, you know, after that, it was that was a one-time thing. We weren't cool anymore because <laughs> then their friends showed up the next time they played. So, but yeah, after a couple of years, kids came, kids went in the group, and we were brought in and allowed to play. And you know, from that point on, yeah, it was one of those things where when I sat down to play, I'm like, okay, this is what, what I want to do with my life. <laughs> I want to tell stories, make games. You know, just have have an awesome time and help others have an awesome time too. So that's that's my first experience. Um, and from then, I probably from about seventh grade on, we had a group that was pretty stable throughout even college. Oh, nice. uh, even though it was over only over summers when we were in college, but um, and we would take turns DMing. So there were three of us that would run a, a campaign. We'd switch off. Another person would run a campaign. So we would get into some pretty in-depth campaigns that would last you know, a year or two years uh, per DM. And sometimes we would even revisit those campaigns when our turn and rotation came back. So you know, it was something – it wasn't the only thing I did, uh, but it was something that I definitely made time for in my days uh, and weekends throughout high school and college. You know, it's funny. I have a very similar story about how I got started, and I think probably a lot of people do. Same thing. My brother and his friends in the basement, not enough people. Uh, we got called down. I was made to play a thief, and I loved it. Still my favorite character class to this day. Um, you know, so so it is a, it is a great story, and, and thanks to all of those older brothers and their friends out there who, uh, who get people involved and older sisters and, and everybody else, all older siblings in general, uh, it's up to you to spread the gospel of D&D. And now I guess parents too, right, are, are spreading the D&D gospel, which is pretty sure. great. Yeah, yeah I, I have a daughter, and actually we're going to a convention tomorrow, and we're going to play some D&D and some other games. And But I think it just goes to show – one of the strengths of the game is its social aspect where, you know, as before someone that you would never even think of associating with, you need these people to play this game and it brings you into new social circles and it gives you that opportunity to interact with people, you know, in a new and different way. Certainly when you think about it, it's a great way to interact with people and to meet new people, right? It, it sort of is a great way to have structured play as an adult even with with new people, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, many of the friends I have now and who I will go meet up at this convention, you know, are friends that I've made since starting to play D&D with them. And now, you know, we do other things together and our families uh, do things together. So absolutely, yeah, it's a a great avenue for, for socialization. 
for sure. It is a blast. So you then become a professional game designer. So at what point do you make that leap from player uh, to actually getting involved in this industry and, and you know, um, people giving you a little moolah to, uh, to write some stuff? How did you make that leap? Was it a conscious decision? Did you fall into it? What was the way that it happened? It was a little bit of both. I'll, I'll start with when I was still in high school, I wanted desperately to write for, for D&D. Mm-hmm. The only – this was pre-internet uh, or at least internet that people could use. So the only way to get published was through Dragon Magazine. Dungeon Magazine wasn't even available yet. So I would submit and I would – you know, they would send stuff. I can remember I'm in high school now, so I don't even know how to write at this mm-hmm. point. I'm just sending stuff. They're sending it back, sending stuff, sending it back. Every once in a while, I get a – you know, this is good. We don't have a place for it right now, but please keep submitting. Think about this. And so, you know, it, it encouraged me. Um, through college, uh, I didn't uh, submit as much because obviously I'm studying and, and so on. But the year after I graduated, I was saving up money. I was substitute teaching, um, waiting to go to grad school, um, waiting to get married. So I had some time for this one year. So I started submitting to different companies. I was playing um, Torg and Paranoia from West End Games, and they put out a call. So I sent in some submissions, and this was before email. So I, you know, you mail off this packet, and you never know if it even gets there, much less if they're going to read it. So I emailed uh, two proposals: one for Torg, one for Paranoia, and I'm sitting and waiting, and nothing. I don't hear back for a few weeks, and then I meet a friend. Uh, just happened to be across town and met a friend who was working as a newspaper uh, in a newspaper company down near where the West End Games uh, headquarters was. And it turns out one of his coworkers was a freelancer for them as an editor and a writer. And I guess they had read my proposal and loved it. So I didn't hear about this through them, but by friend heard from his coworker that, hey, somebody from your little tiny hometown sent us something that we really liked. So my friend said, hey, congratulations on you know getting your thing accepted. And I went, what? And so he <laughs> told me this whole story. But I still hadn't heard anything. So I, I'm playing this game of, you know, do I call? I can't email. I could write. What, what do I do? So finally, I, I summoned up the nerve because, you know, at that point, I'm pulling my hair out. So I call them, and I, <laughs> I, uh, I talked to Bill Slavisek, who was oh in gosh. charge of West End Games then and then went on, of course, to, to a TSR and Wizards. Mm-hmm. But uh, he said, I just sent you a letter. We loved your submission for your, the Paranoia submission. The problem is we're going from a quarterly uh, schedule to only half-year schedule. So it's got to be you know, in our backlog, and if we can bump up our schedule again, we're going to do it. It ended up not happening because, you know, Paranoia, it was a great game, but, you know, they, you can only make so much money and so much product. <laughs> and then they ended up selling off that, that game in, in the long run. So my, uh, my submission just died there. But it, it did two things. It, it, it let me know that I could do it, mm-hmm. uh, but it also was crushing to, to know that this is, the, this is how the industry works. <laughs> And so then life caught up to me, married, job, grad school, everything, until my daughter was born in 2001, Mm -hmm. just after third edition came out. And uh, my wife took took a leave, and she goes a little stir-crazy. So I thought, well, we need a hobby again. 
let's get back into D&D. Because we played some second edition, but this was third edition now. I'm like, oh, okay, let's give it a shot. So we bought the books, and then they started the Living Greyhawk campaign, which happened to meld right into our schedule. So we started uh, looking around in our area for people that were playing the organized play Living Greyhawk campaign. We found some people, so we started playing. And the Living Greyhawk campaign, if for people who aren't aware, it was very much volunteer driven. Mm-hmm. You know, all the content, all the DMs, all the background information, it was all managed by a volunteer within a certain region. Um, our region was New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And so I started getting some of this material and I'm like, you have to understand, I, I now have a master's degree in English and a creative writing degree uh, uh, in fiction writing. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm seeing this volunteer stuff. It's, it's, it's adequate, but I, I would really love to do this. This would be great. I, I could excel at this. I know it's just volunteer. I know I'm not going to get paid. So I write the people that are in, in charge of our region who are themselves volunteers. Like, uh, hey, could I write an adventure? Uh, no, I'm sorry. We've got an adventure backlog of four years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, well, could I edit? Could I write? anything you know a a little write-up on one of the little towns in our region no 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 so i couldn't even volunteer to work for free on this little you know organized play campaign oh my gosh but keep at it keep at it i kept sending them stuff i kept writing and luckily or unluckily depending on how you look at it (laughs) that volunteer uh campaign uh, leads to a great churn because it's a lot of work for not much reward. Mm-hmm. So you know, I kept at it for six months, a year. Finally, they said, okay, all right, we have write, – write this for us. And I wrote a little thing. They liked it. I worked my way up. And finally, I became writing director for the Keoland region and the Living Greyhawk campaign. Awesome. And Yeah, and that – again, you know, it's a volunteer thing. You're working many hours for – the only reward is that you get to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you like the work, then that's reward. And so I just continued to do the best work I could, uh, made sure the players were happy, made sure the DMs were happy, uh, you know, tried to communicate with all the players in the region as best I could. And then I began to work my way up within that campaign. And so uh, when I got to a point where people higher up at Wizards in the organized play area knew that I did good work, I started getting called to, you know, do more work on other, uh, on other organized play campaigns. So I became a faction master in the Zendrick expeditions campaign. And then I was asked to be in the, uh, a global administrator in the living forgotten realms campaign. So what I just talked about for the last 30 seconds is about six years of my life (laughs) where I was putting in quite literally 30 or 40 hours a week. And the compensation, if if I was lucky, was about two thousand dollars a year. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. So so after all that, yeah, you know, and working my tail off, fourth edition came around, and they needed people to start writing fourth edition content because you know they're putting the game out, but they don't have a big backlog of workers or people that know the rules at that point, you know, to to write the material that's going to be released as the game is released. So you said, you know, how do you, did your career start? So up till that point, I don't even know, you know, is that a career if you're, <laughs> if you're working full time for $2,000 a year? I, I'm not sure. So I think I figured out at one point I, I edited, wrote uh, or d- developed 
over 2 million words of organized play content for about six different organized play. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so essentially you had another full-time job for not even part-time job pay. Exactly. <laughs> yep, that was very much what it is. But, you know, it, that's it's I would have done that anyway. Because exactly. I just love to write and I love to I love D and D, so you know it wasn't it wasn't work so much as my hobby that I just happened to you know get a little cash on the side for every once in a while. Yeah, and I think it goes to show that if you are willing to put a lot of work in, you know, you didn't give up when your submissions were getting rejected or that kind of thing. You kept at it. Hard work does eventually pay off because then once you start writing stuff for fourth edition, what kind of happens from there for you? Well, with fourth edition, it was strange because they had just uh, chosen the global administrators for the Living Forgotten Realms campaign. Mm -hmm. So we got a playtest copy of the rules because we would have to start creating content and editing content uh, for the campaign. So Wizards then came to everyone at their company and said, okay, we need people to start pumping out fourth edition material. Who knows it right now? And it was a kind of a limited uh, number of people. So at one point, I was working on four different projects at once. I was working on six different, either editing or writing, Living Forgotten Realms adventures. Um, writing an adventure for Dungeon Magazine. They, were, they had a hardcover book called Dungeon Delve, uh, which was 30 little short adventures uh, of three encounters each, four levels, one through 30. Uh, there, then they asked me, as all this was ending, uh, to work on the, the mm -hmm. adventure called Assault on Nightworm Fortress, mm -hmm. which was you know one of the nine uh, kind of adventure path ones that they did for fourth edition. Right, yeah, and those kind of, the first six, right, led up, or no, the first nine led yep. to a battle with Orcus, is that yep. right? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Yep. So they had one for, you know, the the one for like what levels one through three, one through four, five, six, and then one through seven through ten. So yeah, Nightworm Fortress was the last one of the paragon tier the middle tier yeah, yeah so yeah that was so i mean and i was of course i wasn't sleeping but <laughs> i was getting a lot of writing done and so that was kind of awesome and you know at that point it was just hit your deadlines do what you were told uh you know and it was funny because i was working under four different people at wizards for these four different products mm -hmm. and i was basically getting four different sets of instructions on how to how to write fourth edition stuff <laughs> because it was so new that that you know everyone was still working these things out internally and so you know i just had to say at what point do I push back and say, he's telling me this, he's telling me that, as opposed to just doing what I was told four different ways? Right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, because you don't want to be that guy that, you know, acts like a prima donna. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I, I navigated that uh, and got through that. And I, I, they were happy enough with my work that I continued to get, uh, get work through them. And I've been very lucky for the most part that they've, given me wizards has given me enough work where even with a full-time job and, and family and, and other hobbies, I still can, can scratch that writing itch through, through uh, either organized play work or, or other uh, kinds of work for wizards. 
First of all, I have to thank you because two of my favorite products from 4th edition are Dungeon Delve and Assault on Nightworm Fortress. So I uh, I loved Dungeon Delve. I uh, used it all the time. In fact, uh, as a DM, I kind of wish there would be a 5th a edition equivalent of a book of like a bunch of dungeons that you can just kind of throw into every game with uh, encounters prepared and that kind of thing. I loved yeah. it. I loved yeah, it. it- it was such a great book, especially for fourth edition, which is so encounter driven mm-hmm. that people, you know, DMs could just grab that book, like you said, throw it down. You've got something for the night right there. And that was kind of the first time uh, I I saw that people were really outside of organized play running something I had written. I think Will Wheaton, you know, wrote a blog about running something for his stepchildren or something and and uh and it was he was running that level one dungeon delve which i'd written and i'm like okay this is this is too weird (laughs) it's so fun though it's it's so it's such a great book and and it also you know it was more than just those dungeons there were hooks for continuing the adventure so um you know and and sort of captured i think the spirit of D very well uh because you could go beyond you could use each of those dungeons as a starting off point for a campaign if you wanted to which was great yeah and it, it it's it, very instructive for dms and now that you've done this you can see the you know the system that we've set up for this and now you can go make your own much more easily than if you just had kind of the dungeon master's guide in front of you trying to to parse out all the ways to create a good dungeon or a good adventure so absolutely i i think when they designed that book they did a great job yeah and of course assault on nightworm fortress is just i love that book um you know you've got uh undead dragons um which is great uh and they are stealing souls of the dead that are supposed to be going to the raven queen are kind of going to this place uh and this undead dragon is stealing them and and siphoning their power which is insane i love it yeah it was that was a lot of fun to write it was that one kind of came at me sideways because Rob Schwalb was supposed to work with Bruce Cordell on writing it. And I guess Rob got moved over to a different project. So they said, could you work on this adventure? And I said, oh, well, since you're asking, uh, <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, and Bruce Cordell was very generous and very kind with his time because we had a very short deadline on this. But he, you know, he worked with me through the process because I had never, I'd worked on living campaign and organized play stuff, but never one of these full adventures. So there's a lot of jargon that they had in the the outline, and he explained that out to me, showed me how to create uh, an art order because we had to put, you know, take a scene out that that you like, create an art order, so we'll have the artist make a, uh, you know, make a a picture for it. And uh, one of the art orders I put in ended up being the cover. So I was like, okay, this is so weird. It's just, <laughs> just each t- each time some you know the new milestone hit, you're just like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, you know, this has been a dream of mine since I was nine, and here I go. Well, you put in the work, and you definitely, definitely earned it. And now you're still publishing adventures that people are playing today. Um, you know, uh, Harried and Hills Far, which we reviewed on the Roundtable podcast, we loved it. Uh, just got uh, thrown up on uh, Fantasy Grounds. You can buy the adventure there, and it's all loaded and ready to play for you, which is kind of this 
new level, I think, of like, wow, that you can write an adventure and then people all over the place are playing that adventure almost like it's a video game, but they're also playing it like it's a tabletop game too. And it's got, they're all using the same maps and that kind of thing. It's really, really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it it is surreal. It was strange when I saw that it, when I saw that uh, Harry and Hillsfar went up on, on uh, Dragon Plus, I, somebody had to tell me because I didn't know. <laughs> uh, somebody said, did you know? Uh, no. And th- the first thing I thought was cool. And the second thing I thought was, oh, no. Because <laughs> when you write anything, you always write for an audience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the audience for this adventure was was an organized play kind of convention. You know, things are written in a very specific way for a very specific reason that might not carry over well to somebody grabbing it and taking it to their home game and playing it. So, you know, it went from cool to, oh, no. <laughs> if I had known, I would have – and I started making the list. Okay, if I had known this was going to happen, I would have changed this. I would have done this this way. <laughs> and then I thought, this way lies madness. I'm just going to say, excellent. I hope everyone enjoys it, and I'm going to let it go. Well, I do think people really are enjoying it, and hopefully it'll get some people to check out the Adventurers League, which I think is the whole point of it being in Dragon Plus, you know? Yeah. Um, so so now that you're you're doing all this cool stuff with the Adventurers League, and you've written a lot of adventures and that kind of thing, what is it that you think makes a good adventure? And what do you think makes a Sean Merwin adventure a Sean Merwin adventure? Oh boy, I don't know. Um, what makes a good adventure is just adventures are written for DMs, not for players. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do things when you write to facilitate the DM showing the the players a good time. You can give them tools, but in the end, you're communicating with the DM. So you always have to make sure that you entertain the DM and you give the DM all the information they need to get the story you know to the players and get the players into the story so you know that's the first and foremost thing and coming from the organized play background that really struck me because especially when it's a kind of regional uh setup for your organized play campaign you have to talk to the dms that are running your adventure face-to-face when you go to conventions. And there were a lot of conventions back then. I was going probably every three weeks I would hit a convention. So DMs would not be would not hesitate to tell you what they liked and didn't like. And I learned a lot from sitting there at the next table, the DM is running my game, and if he's saying, oh, this sucks, <laughs> you're hearing about it unfiltered. And so you know, that that really helped me by – you know, running for a running games for lots of different players, seeing lots of different DM skill levels, running the adventure you wrote teaches you quickly. Maybe you need to add a little more here, but you can leave a little out here. Uh, you know, you you want to give some memorable, uh, like memorable NPCs or memorable monsters. You can go right up to the silly line, but you don't want to cross it. Uh, like the demon goats are a great example. <laughs> I mean, everyone loves the demon goats, and I put the demon goats in specifically for that reason. Is you can people can laugh at it, people can be ugh, creeped out by it, you know. And and the DM can 
really look at the table. If if it if the DM is is competent at his or her craft, the DM can look at the table and say, okay, this is a table that's going to be weirded out by this. So I'll play it that way. Mm-hmm. These guys are beer and pretzels, so we're going to make this kind of slapstick. <laughs> and and it, you can take you can go either way with that. So you know, I think that. That is one of the things I always try to do. I, you know, I have to say, I do think that you write some great characters, specifically some great villains and monsters. I was thinking about those goats. Pretty much every single adventure, uh, you know, of the mini adventures in Harried and Hillsfar has that. Assault on Nightworm Fortress has that. Uh, not just with the undead dragon, but there's a lot of, you know, um, good well-written npcs and i like that theory of you're writing a strong character but one that the dm can choose to interpret many ways um and you know and that idea of giving the dm enough because the adventure is really written for them to interpret and then you know put in front of the players and then it's up to the players to play in that playground right and and i have to say i have never heard the advice of what you should do is write adventures and then give them to people to run and listen to them complain about them but that makes perfect sense that's play testing in action that's like live feedback right there yeah and it wasn't something that i necessarily relished <laughs> but it was just you know it was just shoved up on me but you know in the end it, it hurts but it it really works out when you know you're standing in line at a convention, maybe at at the food court or something, and you hear someone complaining about your adventure right in front of you, and they don't know who you are. So you can say, "Oh yeah, I played that. What do you think about this?" And they're just giving you that unfiltered feedback. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's both good, and if you can take that kind of criticism, uh, you know, I think it it behooves you to listen to everybody, right? Um, maybe not always take every single piece of advice they give you, but but certainly to listen and to have an open mind and to take that feedback is a great thing. Sure. You, you, you don't take it to heart, but take it to mind mm-hmm. is, is the be- kind of the best way to say it. And I went through a creative writing program where workshopping was a big part of it, which is, you know, you turn in a piece of writing, then you sit there silent while 10 people discuss it. You know, that's that's exactly it. And you just have to you you get a thick skin, but you also learn a lot as long as you're willing to open up, you know, those blinders and just let let the light in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very, very good advice. Uh, So, Sean, what about now? What kind of games are you running? Uh, You know, what sort of tabletop games? Obviously, you're probably playing a lot of D&D. What what is your game like when you either play or run it? Most of the time when I run D and D, I'm running either the, the you know the Adventurers League stuff mm-hmm. or the stuff directly from Wizards. So we just started with my uh, local group, uh, the Out of the Abyss Adventure. I'm running a Fate game for my wife and daughter. Nice. My daughter, my daughter is a huge Doctor Who fanatic, and so we played the Doctor Who game uh, mm-hmm. from Cubicle Seven. And I like the the fluff aspect of the game, but the rules quite didn't quite catch my daughter and I, uh, and and lift our spirits. So I just ported it over to Fate, which is I think is a lot lighter. So we're playing a a Doctor Who esque uh, Fate game. Nice. Yeah, it's it's you know kind of fun, and they're uh, 
in fate creating the characters is the best part of the game. Oh, totally. With all the aspects and you know all, all those things. So we've got some just totally outrageous and, and wonderful hooks now to play this game. So we're doing that. <laughs> I'm hoping that someone um, from Buffalo, where I live near, is going to be running a uh, Dracula dossier game soon. Because I, I, even though I contributed a little bit to the book, I want to play it very, very much. We are playing through it uh, right now, Rudy Basso, um, who I think you met at Gen Con. Uh, yep. On on the Tome Show often and a host of the video game D&D V&G podcast uh, is just started running uh, me and a few other people through it. So I would recommend if, if you can get somebody to run you through it, you should definitely do that. So if you're out there in the <laughs> area uh, near Sean and you want to play some awesome Knights Black Agents, get in touch with him. There you go. Yeah, I uh, I was at a convention. Well, the convention I'm going to tomorrow uh, last year, uh, Ken Height was a guest there. So I sat and had dinner with him, and then he ran a few of us through what would be a playtest version of, of the, the game. And, of course, you know, that's just like – that's, that's uh, you know, going to the mountaintop right there. So <laughs> at, at that point, I was like, okay, I need to play this as a campaign for more than just four hours. Um, and that gumshoe system just plays very, very neatly. I like it a lot. Yeah, especially the Knights Black Agents version. People were saying, you know, you could remove vampires from this game completely, and it would just be a great espionage game on its own. But throw vampires in, and it's you know, it's the whip topping on your Sunday. Let's see what else. I recently we uh, ended a game that I worked on with a group that I uh, designed with called Encoded Designs. We created a fate version of a game called Part Time Gods which is by Third Eye Publishing and a gentleman named Aloy LaSanta. And he he created a, this game, Part-Time Gods, which is kind of urban fantasy where the, the characters are, they have godlike powers, but only in very limited areas. So you pick a domain and that's what you're, that's what you lord over. And so we, we, we liked the concept of the game. So we decided what would happen if we ported it to Fate. We went to Aloy and said, would you mind us doing this? And he said, you guys do it. I'll run a Kickstarter for it. We'll be fine. And so we we did that. Uh, the Kickstarter funded. The books went out before Gen Con, and they were for sale at Gen Con. But our internal playtesting te- play of it um, was hilarious <laughs> because I, I'm, a, I'm an instigator all the way. I just mm-hmm. want to do the most outrageous things and see how people react. You, I can't do it as much as the DM, but I love to do it as a player. So I played Nicholas Saint, the God of Children. <laughs> and but you know, so the the person running the game thought, okay, this is going to be you know he's going to be this jolly Saint Nicholas, save all the children. Oh no, I'm like the the hard ass coach who puts you know puts his kids out there, even though the one kid's limping and the other kid's you know got a concussion, and I'm just pushing them out there under the field. So that's how <laughs> I played this, and everyone was like. Oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> wrong. And I'm like, that's right. That is wrong. <laughs> so, and I've trained myself not to talk about my character, but since you ask. Hey, you sound like a person I would like to play in a game with, uh, because that's the, the kind of thing that I think adds a lot of spice and fun to the game. Um, 
But I am also wondering uh, what sort of projects you have coming up, Sean. So obviously, uh, you know, I was talking to the uh, Adventurers League admins, um, and they have told us that, you know, they work far in advance. So I assume you're probably already thinking about your next Adventurers League adventure. They have – I'm not working on one at the moment, but I am in communication with them, and I have told them if, if you have projects for me, you know where to find me. And they said, yes, we do, and we will be finding you. So <laughs> we'll see. I mean, For the last three seasons, I've written the initial adventure, you know, the one-hour adventure. So uh, we'll see if they continue the trend and I do that again or if, if I work on something else or if they go in a new direction – then that's okay too. I get to I get to play one more adventure then. Of course, of course. Well, I uh, do believe they will be contacting you. It sounds like they are very, very happy with the work that you are putting out. Um, is there anything else you're working on right now that you want to uh, give us a taste of or that you're allowed to talk about? Sure. Uh, I am working on a project for Cobalt Press. Oh, yes. Right now. Uh, at Gen Con, Wolfgang Bauer, who is the head of Cobalt Press, talked in a seminar which i believe the tome show put out yes probably. talking about uh books of monsters and mm, mm-hmm. and so what i'm working on are is a book of layers and maps to go along with the monsters that they hope to publish the big book of monsters uh, so that's uh that's what i'm into right at the moment you know we were talking with wolfgang about that actually just a little while ago it sounds like that's contingent perhaps on an ogl which would sounds like we might see soon yeah i i mean i don't know i have not heard any information on the ogl um and i know that you know wolfgang has has talked publicly about his view of of publishing OGL versus non-OGL and and what he wants to do. So I'm not sure on the business side where things stand. I only know that I was asked to work on a certain project, so I'm working on a certain project. <laughs> if 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 the OGL is something that is cu- coming, uh, that's great because I have tons of other work that I'd love to uh, put out under it. Uh, but until the OGL is out, I'm you know I'm waiting to to put it to do it the right way let's put it that way oh that's good to hear that's uh just one more reason to uh be on the edge of our seats waiting for an ogl yeah i'm i'm right there too i'm on the edge <laughs> i'm on the edge also uh and so that i'm working on that for D. uh another D project is one that i'm working on for this group that i talked about in coded designs it's generally a bunch of guys from Buffalo. I, I live about an hour south of Buffalo, uh, who were all game designers in one way or another. Um, we've all done work for other companies, but we 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 all have certain sets of skills. And uh, so we thought, well, let's get together. We've got editors, we've got art people among us, we've got uh, you know layout people. Let's see what we can do together as this kind of we call it the, like the hippie game commune. Uh, so i'm going to be working on a D project for that and tomorrow at this convention i will be kind of play testing part of it mm, it's nice. just a it's a dnd uh product i hope it to be a DD product that is designed to help new dms learn to dm and help new players learn to play through the dm 
So, I mean, that's really all I can talk about right now. But I I see a need because there's great Dungeon Masters guides. <laughs> there's great adventures. But I've never seen the two melded together in a way that lets that, that teaches while it goes. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm hoping to do with that. Wow. That uh, that's like you're you're doing the Lord's work right there. That's what that is. So <laughs> I, I hope so. I yeah, hope so. yeah. Teaching dungeon masters to to be dungeon masters, I think, is is a thing that's hard, and it's learned, you know, through observation and that kind of thing. But I also think that we're living in a time where we kind we need a lot of new dungeon masters to step up and maybe some people have never played the game before if we really want the hobby to continue to thrive the way it has these past few years um and so i think giving people the tools to do that is is a great 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 thing so yep. thank you for that work well i it's not done yet but i'm i'm working on it so i hope it it fills a need like you say Oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So, Sean, if people want to find out more about what you're doing and give you praise on the Internet, uh, where should they go? <laughs> okay, well, I try to write a column every once in a while at criticalhits.com. Yes, great site. You, yes, and I also try to write a column every once in a while at the encodeddesigns.com website. Mm. Um, we will be putting up a Patreon project at Encoded Designs. Hopefully by the time this episode drops, it will be up. It's called the Character Cache. Oh, cool. Uh, it's going to be artwork by an artist named Matt Morrow, who will be sketching and coloring and inking character sketches. And then we will be putting in ideas for how to use them as either a PC or as an NPC. And if the funding works out, we will also add stat blocks for different games uh, based on the votes of the people that support the uh, Patreon project. So wow. if you, yeah, so if you're hearing this and you go to Patreon, search on Encoded Designs and Character Cash, that's C-A-C-H-E. And uh, if, if it's something, you know, we're giving away one as a sample to show what we would do. And uh, if people like it, you can you know, throw up a buck or two and, uh, and get that. Nice. Well, and we will certainly link that in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com so people can, you know, uh, find the uh, Patreon links through there and everything. That's really great. Congratulations. That's a lot of work starting a Patreon. So Yeah, it is. And hopefully it'll, it'll go well. So thanks for, for letting me uh, talk about that. And if, uh, if you're on Twitter, you can find me at Sean Merwin. Um, I'm on Facebook and G+. Plus. G plus, not G plush. That's a different one. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I love to talk to people about games and game mastering and writing, uh, editing. So hit me up there. And I do have a do a podcast in the misdirected Mark Network called Down with D and D mm -hmm. that comes out every two weeks. So if you uh, check out Down with D and D or Misdirected Mark, um, you can probably find that. It's one of my favorite podcasts, so people should definitely check that out. If you're listening to this podcast, Down With D&D &D will more than appeal to you. Again, all of that will be linked over in the show notes over at thetomeshow.com. Sean Merwin, you are one of the kindest people in an industry full of really kind people. Well, well, thank you. I, I'll have to tell my daughter you said that, so at least someone believes it. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Tell her her dad is one of the coolest people we know. Uh, Sounds good. She will be listening to this podcast, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else we missed that you want to talk about? No, I just want to thank you for doing uh, all your shows, too, because as as much as you say you like to listen to me, I love to listen to you. (laughs) And I like to listen to people talk about gaming, so... Um, well, while I'm working during the day, I've got the podcast going and Tome Show and all its affiliate shows are always on the on my list. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. That that means a lot to me. Uh, that you would say that. So thank you. Uh, Not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, this is Sean Merwin. He just leveled up. He's a level fifty-one NPC. Uh, go check him out, Sean. Thank you so much for being on Gamer to Gamer today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. People, if you have a question or comment about the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Sean for being on the show. Also, many thanks to Jeff Greiner and Sam Dillon. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Remember, never give up. Life is a game. Eventually, you gotta roll a 20.